Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. We're back with another week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups and walk away an instant Winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now and sign up with code HOOPS. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 888- 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility. Terms and responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. We are live on AMP, so if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast feeds, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We are continuing our power rankings today with number 14, the New York Knicks. And then I've got three mailbag questions for you guys at the end of the show as well. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to The Volume's YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter underscore Jason LT. Don't forget to follow our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. And I need mailbag questions. So drop those in the YouTube comments so that we can hit them 
in our future shows. Also, last but not least, before we get started, the start of pro basketball season is still a few weeks away, but there's no shortage of events to attend. Obviously, we still have baseball going on, uh, concerts and comedy shows all over the country, and now we have the return of pro and college football. And the best way to get tickets to any of these is on GameTime, the fastest-growing ticketing app in the United States. For amazing last-minute deals on tickets to see your favorite football or baseball team, download the GameTime app. And again, it's not just sports. We still have touring music and touring comedians all over the country, and GameTime has your tickets to those events as well. Download the GameTime app and redeem code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, download the GameTime app, enter code HOOPS, that's H-O-O-P-S, for $20 off. No matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download GameTime today, last-minute tickets, lowest price Guaranteed. All right, let's talk some basketball. Let's talk some New York Knicks. So, a little uh, recap of the offseason. <clears throat> they lost Derrick Rose and Obi Toppin, and they added Dylan Windler, who's a, a shooting wing who won't play much. Nathan Knight, a backup big from Minnesota, who probably won't play much as well. And then they added Dante DiVincenzo, who's a very good role player, in my opinion. He's an outstanding spot-up player. <clears throat> He averaged 1.25 points per spot-up possession last year with the Warriors. There were 126 players who logged at least 200 spot-up possessions last year, and Dante ranked fourth in efficiency last year, fourth out of 126 players. So one of the most efficient spot-up guys in the league last year. Now, some of that's Golden State. Obviously, they tend to generate extremely high-quality spot-up looks um, with the nature of the way their offense works. But he's also just a lights-out shooter. He was 64% in effective field goal percentage on catch-and-shoot jump shots and 73% effective field goal percentage on jump shots when he was unguarded. So a very, very reliable spot-up shooter. And this is a team in the Knicks that was not a good spot-up shooting team last year. And I think that Dante will help in that specific area. He's also a great athlete, which helps him in a bunch of different areas. Helps him on the glass. He's an excellent rebounding guard. 6.2 rebounds per 36 minutes last year, including two uh, offensive rebounds per 36 minutes. Really good at kind of like sneaking in behind the play to kind of disrupt stuff after the shot goes up, whether that's trying to poke the ball away from a rebounder or to sneak in from behind and grab offensive rebounds when guards aren't paying attention. It also helps him at the rim. He shot 63% in the restricted area last year, which is awesome for a guard. Anything over 60% is awesome for a guard. And that's not just a Golden State thing. His last full healthy season with the Bucks back in 2020, he shot over 60% in the restricted area that season as well. I think 62%, if I remember correctly. He was also really good in Golden State's five-out offense, attacking off of off-ball screens. He was 1.26 points per possession coming off of an off-ball screen, which was third best in the entire NBA out of the 61 players who ran that type of action at least 50 times in the NBA season. He's got really good work uh, footwork coming off of screens and rising up and shooting. He's definitely better with his right-left than he is with his left-right, meaning like when he's going to his left – He's better at rising and firing than he is going to his right. That's very typical for right-handed shooters, mainly just because most right-handed shooters have their right foot forward. So when you're running this way, your right foot's already forward. So it's easy to quick turn 
and plant that left foot. But when you're coming towards the right-handed side for a right-handed shooter, your right foot's behind the play. You have to like swing that foot around, and you have to get a lot better lift, and sometimes you have to square up in midair. So that's pretty typical. But he was 14 for 25 coming off of uh, wide pin downs for jump shots going to his left, and then he was 4 for 13 going to his right. So not a big surprise there. He was also good off of dribble handoffs. He was 12 for 27 on movement jump shots coming off of dribble handoffs. So he's like legitimately a dangerous movement shooter. And and you have no choice in those actions but to chase Dante close over the top of those screens. I think that's a valuable weapon. And it's going to be an interesting fit here with the Knicks because the Knicks don't really run a lot of action in general, let alone off-ball action. That's going to be one of the big themes that we talk about when we get into their offense. This is a team that is very much a brute force offense. They're picking on matchups. And they're just standing in spot-up spots and giving a guy room to work. And it's it's very rudimentary in a lot of ways. And, and that's kind of unfortunate because <clears throat> Quentin Grimes is also a very good um, movement shooter, at least in terms of what he's capable of. But he didn't get a lot of opportunities last year. As a matter of fact, the Knicks ran or took a shot off of an off-ball screen just 191 times all year last year. That was the third least in the entire NBA. And to give you guys some perspective, the Warriors ran those types of actions 958 times. So 958 shots coming off of screens for the Warriors, 191 for the Knicks. So an example of why we got to find out that Dante has that in his game and an example of why it might be a funky fit with the Knicks. But in general, and again, this is going to be a major theme in this particular season preview, I'd like to see the Knicks try to work that in a little bit to to mix up their brute force attack that they use so often. But in summation, Dante's a really good player and I think he fits a specific need for the Knicks roster as a guard off the bench. He's a very competitive player. He's a very good on-ball defender who plays physical ball pressure defense. I actually thought he was one of Golden State's best point-of-attack defenders last year. I think Knicks fans are going to love him. So uh, very, very excited about the Dante DiVincenzo fit. So let's take a quick look at the depth chart uh, before we move any further. Um, at the guard position, Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes, Evan Fournier, Dante DiVincenzo, Emmanuel Quickly, and Deuce McBride. So kind of similar to the Memphis Grizzlies situation, very deep at guard. At forward, and these first two guys are, are kind of like hybrid guard forwards because they're both a little undersized, but I'm considering R.J. Barrett and Josh Hart both forwards in this system just with the functionality, the way they, they fill a role on both ends of the floor. They're both bigger, stronger, better athletes. They play more forward-esque kind of positions on the floor. Julius Randle and Isaiah Roby. And then at the center position, Mitchell Robinson, Isaiah Hartenstein, and Jericho Jericho Sims. So a roster balance issue there. You've got six guards that can really play, and then you've got two somewhat undersized forwards, and then a forward in Julius Randle that obviously has a lot of offensive responsibility, which limits his ability to kind of devote energy to the dirty work, and as Isaiah Roby, who ideally should not be in your rotation, right? So in this particular situation, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point during the season – that the Knicks were one of the teams that was looking to potentially move somebody like Evan Fournier from a position where they have a lot of depth looking for a forward to help bolster that position. But let's move to the offensive end of the floor for a second. So this is a slow, brute force offense. They don't run in transition much. They don't run a lot of action in the half court. They spend most of the time hunting matchups. They're going to run a lot of Jalen Brunson pick and roll. 
to try to either get switches or to try to get him looks for little short pull-up jump shots and floaters in the mid-range, right? And then they're going to run a certain amount of action with Julius Randle to try to get him switched onto a smaller defender so that he can post them up or face them up. Those two guys are basically matchup hunting the entire game. And, you know, there, it's important to identify the the ups and downs of that specific play style because there, we've seen championship teams that were brute force offenses. The 2020 Lakers were kind of an example of this, right? Like, when you have a, a team that matchup hunts a lot, they're going to struggle a lot in the regular season offensively. Um, because running a lot of action, having a lot of diversity in your attack works in the grand scheme of an 82-game season when there's not a lot of scouting. But what ends up happening is you get to the playoffs and teams scout your actions and get in front of them, and then all of a sudden it does become an area where brute force offense is more valuable. Like We see this every year with the Golden State Warriors. They run way more action than everybody else in the league. They take way more shots and off-ball screens and things like that, and then they get to the playoffs and suddenly it's like, oh shit, we need Steph to run a million pick-and-rolls. Right, That's just kind of the nature of the way the game changes when you get to the postseason. But I think there's a happy medium there. I think there's a, a better version of this where you're a team that has that brute force attack but also can make things easier on themselves. And that's going to that's gonna be a theme for this particular show. But let's focus on their brute force attack for a minute because it does work. And I think it's a big part of why they were able to beat Cleveland last year. And I think Julius Randle's struggles in the postseason were more indicative of his injuries and the, the way they disrupted his rhythm and is possibly a positive indicator for what this team could be capable of this season if Julius Randle can get there when he's actually healthy. So they ran 1,159 ISOs last year, which was the third most in the NBA, and they were good at it. 1.03 points per possession. That was the seventh best mark in the league. Jalen Brunson was the fifth best high-volume ISO player in the entire NBA last year. 1.10 points per possession. That was fifth out of 25 players to run at least 250 ISOs. And you all saw it in the postseason, whether he was attacking Chetty Osman in the first round or he was attacking Gabe Vincent in the second round against the Heat. And just in general throughout the season, it's just he gets the matchup he wants and then he kind of methodically works to some kind of mid-range pull-up jump shot. And he's got all the dribble combinations and all the footwork. He can actually turn and post as well, better than most guards in the modern era can. Jalen Brunson has a really diverse matchup attacking approach, and that's why he's been so efficient in those specific situations. Julius Randle, less efficient, but still over a point per possession. He was at 1.02, 15th on that same list of 25 high-volume ISO players. More of a power kind of face-up game, so a lot of jab-step jumpers and little step-back jumpers and face-up situations. And then he likes to rip through... And then when he rips through, if he gets cut off, that's when he'll turn his back and kind of turn it into a post-up at that point. And he was a very, very good post-up player last year, 1.06 points per possession, which was well above average. As a team, the Knicks also run a ton of pick-and-roll. Uh, Jalen Brunson was one of the best pick-and-roll players in the league last year. Uh, remember that high-volume pick-and-roll list that I've been referencing all season, that 1,000 minimum possessions list? There's 15 guys who ran at least 1,000 pick-and-rolls. Jalen Brunson came in at fifth on that list at 1.08 points per possession. Really impressive when you consider the fact that the Knicks don't have fantastic role men and they don't have fantastic spot-up talent. And and when you factor that in, that, that tells you that there's a lot of really high-level shot-making 
going on from Jalen Brunson. He was 52% in effective field goal percentage on pull-up jump shots last year. There were 14 players in the NBA who attempted at least 500 pull-up jump shots. Jalen Brunson ranked third in effective field goal percentage on that. So one of the very best pull-up jump shot makers in the league right now is Jalen Brunson. I Again, I had a lot of people complaining about where I, how I had him so high on my list. And I had, even yesterday, like uh, I had people complaining about um, me having uh, Jalen Brunson over John Morant. Here's the thing. John Morant's going to be better than Jalen Brunson in the long run. He's just got too much natural ability. But here's the reality. Jalen Brunson right now is a devastating playoff player. He led them to a win against the Cavs. He was the guy who damn near beat the Heat in Game 6 and almost pushed that series to Game 7. Jalen Brunson right now is flat out a better basketball player than John Morant. It's not going to be like that forever, but he is right now. Like we can, you have to separate the potential and the theoretical basketball player from the actual basketball player that's actually on the floor leading teams to victory right now. Jalen Brunson beat the Cavs, who were one of the very best teams in the league last year. The John Morant playoff experience has been beating a bad Minnesota Timberwolves team two years ago and getting beat by veteran teams as soon as he faced them. And that's not to say that John Morant's not going to eventually have that opportunity and succeed. I expect him to eventually. But he's a kid, and he's not quite what he's going to be yet. Jalen Brunson right now is a better, more reliable playoff player. I don't think that's a hot take. I think I'm very, very confident in that specific stance, and I believe that that is the truth about those two as basketball players right now. I just think, again, like, um, uh, when you get to the playoffs, there are very specific things that work at a higher level than the regular season. And we've just seen too many examples over the years of young teams succeeding in the regular season and then struggling when they get to the real basketball. And to me, Memphis kind of falls into that um, specific group. Uh, um, let's see where we're at uh, pick and roll. So uh, Julius Randle also was pretty solid in pick and roll as well. 1.07 points per possession. He only did it about three times per game. Might want to look into doing that a little bit more this year. Remember, we talked about like the dynamic of running pick and roll with a bigger player. It, you have to use a bigger defender, right? Julius Randle's a bully ball player. So you have to put a big, strong forward on him. Big, strong forwards, they do good guarding bully ball players, but they're not great at navigating screens. It's not something they practice when they're younger. So putting them in screening actions is actually a great way to get Julius Randle downhill against a slow-footed big. Have Mitchell Robinson set screens for Julius Randle or have guards set screen for screens for Julius Randle more often. Same type of thing. If guard gets a solid screen on that big, strong forward, he's going to get separation. Now Julius Randle's going downhill against a smaller player or getting a switch against a smaller player that he can then take down to the post. That's another thing I'd like to see them do more just to kind of add more variety to their offense. RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly ran most of the rest of their pick and rolls. Both of them were just a touch below a point per possession, which is below average. So those two guys, not great in pick and roll last season. The two main areas of opportunity I want to hit on. So obviously, spot-up efficiency. They were 17th in converting spot-up possessions into points last year. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo will help with that. And then offensive organization, which is the second thing I want to hit on, this will also help with spot-up possessions, which we'll get to in just a second. So we talked about this a lot in the, um, gosh, which video was it? 
uh, I can't even remember which team we were covering. Might have been Minnesota, but um, uh, complications on offense are are just little actions that you run to set up an action, right? We we talked about like how before a play you can run a ram screen. So for instance, like down screen for the ball screener. So that the screen defender is trailing the play when you run pick and roll, which gives you a better chance to get downhill. That's one one thing you could do. We talked about Spain pick and roll, but putting a shooter in the middle of the floor and having him relocate to the top and maybe throw a little screen at the roll man as he's rolling to the basket, right? Or having the roll man screen down for the shooter. Those are little things you can do that make things easier for you to get better opportunities in pick and roll. What about action that flows into a pick and roll? Maybe like a dribble handoff that so that at least the two guards involved might have to navigate a switch or have to fight through a screen before they get to the pick and roll. Little things like that just make it a little bit easier. And again, like we talked about brute force offense, and yeah, you're right, in a seven-game series, they're going to find ways to shut those actions down, but this team does very little of that, even during the regular season. And the problem with that is it just makes it harder than it needs to be. And like, again, there's nothing wrong with the brute force offense. You guys know I believe in it as a playoff weapon, but have that be something that you use as part of a bigger picture in the offense. This team, I think, needs to look to add a little bit more complication to what they do offensively. And here's the other thing, too. Having movement shooters like Quentin Grimes and, and Dante DiVincenzo, that opens up more off-ball action. So like, if you're running pick-and-roll on the right side of the floor and Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson are playing two-man game to try to get some sort of advantage. If your other three shooters are just standing on the opposite end of the floor, I should say two shooters and Mitchell Robinson's in the dunker spot, those three defenders don't have to be paying attention. They can have a foot in the paint and be staring at your two-man game. But if you're running some sort of interchange, if you have Mitchell Robinson and Josh Hart or, or, or whoever it is that's on the other side of the floor setting a pin down for Quentin Grimes or setting a pin down for Dante DiVincenzo, suddenly those three help defenders have to be at least paying attention to what's taking place on the weak side of the floor. And th- this has been a thing with Tom Thibodeau forever. Um, he's more of a defensive-minded coach. He's a pack-the-paint guy. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He's a very traditional approach in that sense. But like at the end of the day, like it doesn't have to be this hard. This team is capable of being a better offensive team than they actually are. And I'd like to see them add some more complications to their offense to make that easier. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast is 
NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's the thing. When we get to the postseason, the brute force approach I do think is capable of working to a higher level than it did. And for the record, it did work. They upset the Cleveland Cavaliers in the first round. That was a very good team that they beat without home court advantage, right? You had a chance in a one-possession game at the end to push Miami to a Game 7. And in that situation, you would have had Game 7 at home and had a pretty good chance to win the series. So they were this close to being a conference finals team last year. And that was despite the fact that Julius Randle was awful. Awful, awful. 17-8-4 in the postseason on 49% true shooting. He made his wide-open jump shots. He was 10 for 21 on unguarded catch-and-shoot jump shots, but he basically missed everything else. He was 16 for 66 on all other jump shots. He shot just 56% at the rim, which is bad for a big forward like him. He was 0 for 4 on hooks and floaters. His post-up efficiency tanked. He had a bad postseason, and I'm not blaming Julius Randle. He had an injury. He went into the postseason with an injury and was completely out of rhythm. Again, all of you guys who have actually played the game know exactly what I'm talking about. There is a process that goes from being off the court with an injury to being on the court as you return. Then there's a process to get from there to in rhythm and ready to go. If you had an ankle sprain and you were out for a week and a half and you've only done some light shooting and you go to play, You're not going to be the best version of yourself. Not even close. You won't be close to the best version of yourself. There's a version of you that has command of the game. Command of your game. And you only get there after a couple of weeks of really good rhythm where you get great work in every day. You don't get any sort of nagging injury or setback. You have good nutrition to, to, to build up that uh, to recover from those workouts, and over time you build you build your conditioning. And then when you get to that point where conditioning is set and your rhythm is set and your jump shot feels good and your timing is set, that's when you start to play like the best version of yourself. And if Julius Randle goes into the postseason with a month straight of playing good basketball, maybe he plays better than he did. And that literally could have been the difference between them being a team that lost in the second round and makes a deeper run into the conference finals or maybe has a chance to contend with Boston and potentially make it to the finals. I think this Knicks team is capable of being very, very good. A a couple of uh, complications added to their offense, making better use of their off-ball players and getting to the playoffs with Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson healthy could be the difference between this team having a chance and them not having a chance. All right, let's talk about the defensive end of the floor for a second. So they were 19th in defensive rating last year, 20th in half-court defense according to Cleaning the Glass, so not good. 
Um, slightly above average in transition defense. Uh, they were an average transition defense from the standpoint of efficiency, but they uh, did a very good job of keeping teams out of transition, limiting transition opportunities. So I'd call them a slightly above average transition defense. Like most Tom Thibodeau, uh, Thibodeau teams, they overly defend the paint. Um, they're guarding pick and roll three on two. They're helping out of the weak side corner. They're digging down into driving lanes. They over protect the paint. They allow just 46.3 points in the paint per 100 possessions. That was the best mark in the entire NBA. Best paint defense in the league, yet a bottom 12 defense. You can see where this is going, right? Um, opponents shot just 63.5% in the restricted area against the Knicks. That was the fourth best mark in the entire league. But you can guess what the trade-off was. They gave up 37 opponent three-point attempts per game. That was the fourth most in the entire NBA. 13 made opponent threes per game. That was the fourth most in the NBA. And then obviously when a team allows a lot of threes, it allows a lot of long rebounds, which, which can hurt you in rebounding situations. This was the second best rebounding team in the league overall. But they were only the 12th best defensive rebounding team. So that might be something they want to shift in their approach. And it's going to be hard to convince a, 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 an older coach that's been in the league for a long time, like Tom Thibodeau, of this. But the reality is, is professional basketball players make threes at an extremely high clip now. And if you're, you have to, as a team, do a good job. In order to be an elite defense, you can't just be a good paint defense anymore. It used to be that that was enough. That's not enough anymore. You have to guard the paint well, and you have to guard the three-point line well, because those are the two most efficient shots in basketball. And it used to be that the paint was the most efficient shot in basketball, huge gap, then the three, then everything else, because there wasn't that much shooting talent in the league. Now shooting talent in the league is so good that you could argue defending the three-point line is more important than defending the paint. You could argue. Now, I think foundationally you should start with the paint, then guard the three-point line. But in this particular case, like you can no longer just concede three-point shots. The NBA is too good at converting those shots into points. And so you're actually better off guarding two-man game two-on-two, guarding isos and post-ups one-on-one, staying closer to shooters, and forcing guys into taking and making tougher contested shots at the rim. Because if you can hold them to 54% on a driving layup over a contest, that's actually a more efficient shot or a better, more efficient shot for your defense than a kick out three to a guy who's making 37% of them. Because that's going to put you at like 54% or whatever in effective field goal percentage. So like it's, 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 it's a situation now where it's becoming a more precarious decision to make. You're actually better off in a lot of cases allowing teams to get dribble penetration over contests than you are giving up catch-and-shoot threes. Now, obviously, there's a line there. Like, if you're just getting toasted at the perimeter and you're giving up wide-open layups, then you have to help because now the, that math equation has shifted too far in the other direction. But it may be time for the Knicks to potentially change their defensive approach a little bit. But it's not just overhelping and protecting the paint. They don't have a lot of size and athleticism on the perimeter, which, which hurts their point of attack defense. Like, the guy they throw at opposing wings, the guy they had guard Jimmy Butler for the most part, was Quentin Grimes, who is, you know, a, a good player, but a below-average wing defender. You know, R.J. Barrett is a good defender, but Jalen Brunson is... Average at best in point of attack situations. Uh, Julius Randle is average at best 
and those two guys have such a huge offensive load that they're not devoting a lot of energy there, right? They don't have a classic wing defender on the roster. They don't have a Jaden McDaniels. They don't have an Andrew Wiggins or a Jared Vanderbilt. They don't have like a 6'8", 6'9", long-armed freak athlete that they can throw at the other team's best perimeter player. That player does not exist on this particular roster, and it's a real shortcoming of their defense. The Knicks were one of the worst pick-and-roll defenses in the league last year. They gave up 627 made shots to pick-and-roll ball handlers, which was the fifth most in the entire NBA. And I don't think it's Mitchell Robinson's fault. I actually think he's a solid drop coverage big. I watched a lot of film on him this morning. He does a really nice job of showing on ball handlers and recovering back to roll men and protecting the rim well. I think it's a point of attack issue. And so as I mentioned earlier in the episode, I would like to see the Knicks eventually kind of balance their roster a little better by moving one or two of their guards for some type of forward defender that can help them take primary defensive assignments. Um, So a little prediction on the season. I think if Julius Randle can make it to the playoffs healthy and in rhythm, they have a legitimate chance to make it to the conference finals. And they, they were pretty close last year already, like we said. I think there's a top tier in the East. I think you have Miami, Boston, and Milwaukee. But I think the Knicks actually have a lot of potential in that second tier to be a team that gets out of the Eastern Conference. They have that brute force matchup attacking approach. They have that that high-level defensive capability if they can orient their defense properly. You know, and like when I look at teams that I have ranked above them in this list, like teams like Philly, like they're going to be better regular season team, right? Like they have the better player in Joel Embiid, but they get to the postseason and they go down in effectiveness because of Embiid's limitations, because of James Harden's limitations, even though I don't think James Harden's going to be there this year when it's all said and done. But like that's the thing is like, the Knicks are kind of in that unique group of teams that actually becomes more dangerous when you get to the postseason. And so I actually think they have a decent chance to get out of the conference should things break right. And I would feel a lot better about that if they make a trade for some sort of athletic forward at some point during the season. All right, let's take a look at the mailbag. So before we get to the mailbag, I had one thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, Grizzlies fans and them complaining about the low ranking. So many people like, back-to-back seasons where they were a top two seed. How can they be a middle-of-the-pack team? We have to differentiate between regular season success and postseason success. We have to figure that out. Like, let's look at the rankings. Who We had Sacramento, Cleveland, Memphis all win a shit ton of regular season games. Then what happened? This happens every year. I mean, even the uh, in 2021 or 2022, you have this Phoenix Suns team that just runs through everybody in the regular season and then loses to Dallas in the second round. Right now, it, it, like, it doesn't mean anything anymore for a team to win a lot of regular season games. Let's take the Knicks, for instance. Who do you think deserves to be ranked higher? A Grizzlies team that was a two-seed twice and then barely beat Minnesota, literally could have lost that series if it wasn't for Minnesota choking away games in crunch time, then losing to Golden State, or losing to the seven-seed Lakers that everyone took talk shit about and made fun of all season, or a Knicks team that went and beat the Cavs without home court advantage. A very, very good Cavs team. A Cavs team that was better than a, a million times better than the Minnesota Timberwolves team from two years ago that the Grizzlies beat. The Knicks have clearly demonstrated they are a better and more dangerous playoff team than the Memphis Grizzlies. They have. 
And so that's the thing. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, guys, but like, I'm not going to rank teams higher just because they want a shit ton of regular season games. That's never going to be a thing that determines this list. I'm I'm ranking teams based on their playoff potential. And right now, a Memphis Grizzlies team with a young, immature point guard, you know, a a really good two guard who's not an all star, a really good rim protector who's not one of the best in the league at it, and no forwards. I'm not going to pick them over proven playoff teams until they demonstrate that. And, and, and I don't think they have that juice this season. I think they've got to make some changes as we talked about in that video. And so, again, like, if you're expecting me to rank teams highly just because of their regular season record, this isn't the show for that. That's not the way that I – that's not the way that my personal process works. And I understand that Grizzlies fans might disagree with me. Um, and look, here's the deal. Like maybe they'll go beat everybody and win the title this year, but that would be a, a, a big, you know, uh, uh, move away from what they did in the last couple of years. All right. Let's, uh, talk mailbag questions. First one from Luke. What are your thoughts on the Warriors potentially signing Dwight Howard? Assuming they returned the best starting five in the league with a bench, including, uh, CP three, Gary Payton and the young guys, Dario Sarge and Dwight. It feels like they check every box that you look for in a championship contender. So a couple things. I obviously covered Dwight very closely with the Lakers in 2020 and again in 2022. He was awesome in 2020. Like legitimately was one of the top five players on that team. Only came off the bench as like a personality test for him because he had come off of a couple of weird seasons in other uh, uh, in other cities, right? With that Lakers team, he consistently brought energy off the bench. He was an excellent drop coverage defender in their system. He had great pick and roll chemistry with LeBron. He played hard all the time. He had great energy. He was a great uh, leader in the locker room. He was a weapon to guard uh, Nikola Jokic when they got to the postseason. Dwight was great. But I covered him in 2022 as well. And he had aged a lot in that two-year span. And basically what 2022 was like was it depended on the year or on the game. Like, one game he'd go out and he'd look like the Dwight from the championship season and he'd be incredibly impactful. But then he'd go out two nights later and be destructive because he wasn't moving well and he didn't have that pop and his him being a step slow was hurting him on defense and he wasn't finishing around the rim like he needed to and it was kind of like really up and down. That was 2022. Now we're going into the 2024 season. So we're an additional two years down the line. So like, here's the thing. Maybe 2022, he was dealing with some injuries that were unusual. And maybe he comes in and he's super healthy and he recaptures some of that 2020 magic. But in my opinion, the more likely scenario is that it's a more volatile version of 2022. Maybe he's good one out of every three games now. But here's the thing. They with the way that they're oriented with Kevon Looney and, and Draymond Green, maybe they only need him one every three nights. And maybe Steve Kerr can limit his minutes and use him in really short bursts, and maybe it works. It's a fine pickup because there's just not anybody markedly better out there. But I don't think – like I, I want to caution Warriors fans against thinking that they're getting 2020 Dwight because they just probably aren't. And I've seen what it looked like in years since, as someone who rooted for him closely. And I like Dwight, but I just I just don't think he's going to be a major needle mover for the Warriors. Now, as for the Warrior, this Warriors roster, I and we're going to talk about it in a lot more detail when we get there, but the short version is, I think that they're a better playoff team. 
Obviously, bringing in Chris Paul as a more reliable playoff player, getting the Jordan Poole situation out of the locker room, a couple smart veteran signings, guys like Dario Saric, right? You know, Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga getting a year older. But some of the core problems remain. Jonathan Kaminga is still going to be really concerned about his playing time all season, and so you're you're lying to yourself if you're pretending there's not going to be any drama in the locker room this season, right? You're still incredibly small on the perimeter. This is a team that the reporting says is going to start Chris Paul. If you start Chris Paul, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green, you are probably the smallest starting lineup in the entire NBA. And that is going to hurt them in a lot of situations. I actually expect this Warriors team to struggle in the regular season in similar ways to they have in years in years past. I don't see this as a top three seed. I see this as maybe a little better than last year, but probably in the five six range. And they were a six seed last year. So, um, but I expect them to be a more dangerous playoff team. So I like the moves they've made, but unless they dramatically increase their size and athleticism, which they did not. I don't see them running through the regular season the way they did in years past. And again, like just like we talked about the gap between 2020 and 2022 for Dwight Howard, there's going to be a gap between 2022 and 2024 for some of these veteran players that they have on the roster. Now, I think one of the big swing factors there could be Klay Thompson. There's a lot of intel Zach Lowe reported yesterday that Klay Thompson's having a great offseason. He did not have a great offseason last year, came into the camp out of shape. Um, in general, I think he's highly motivated after getting outplayed by Austin Reeves in that uh, Lakers series. So maybe Klay Thompson comes back and has this crazy throwback season and that influx of talent shifts things a little bit. But here's the thing. Why did the Warriors lose last year a lot in the regular season? On the road. Because they didn't defend and rebound. Defense and rebounding comes down to size and athleticism. That's the key weakness on this roster, and they did not fix that. So I don't see this as a regular season juggernaut. I see this as a long, as like a uh, playoff puncher's chance team, essentially. Uh, but we'll talk more about the Warriors when we get to them down the line. Next question from Caleb. Theoretically, with enough work, could any NBA player become a star? If uh, perhaps just in another system, this is an interesting question. So I think that obviously every player has like a, a range of outcomes, right? Like their floor versus their ceiling, right? But I think the ceiling is limited for players who are non-stars versus players that are stars. And what allows players to push to that next level and potentially become a star, I put down three things. One, a true love of the game. I think in order to put in the requisite amount of work, you have to love basketball at a level that is different than other players. And for the record, and many NBA players have said this, not every NBA player loves basketball to the same extent that the guys at the top of the league do. You you, you have to always be wanting to play basketball to be motivated to put in that necessary work. So that's step one. Two, a hatred of losing. This is that competitiveness piece. There's a difference between becoming the most skilled basketball player you can be and building out a list of, call them habits, but the willingness to do the dirty work, which comes down to not a love of basketball, but a competitive thing. That's a hatred of losing. These these playoff games are, are rock fights, and guys have to get their hands dirty. And so I think that's a big part of it. And then lastly, I put audacity. So... There are a lot of players that have skill, but they don't have the 
crazy confidence, that irrational confidence. I, I love the word audacity because it's like it's like if the, imagine being on the floor with nine other NBA players and taking a step back three. Like, do you know how confident you have to be in your ability to look off four other players and attack a set NBA defense by taking a tough shot? Like, it's not just a skill piece. There's an audacity to it. You need guys who are crazy enough to take the big shots. And that, that to me, is a difference for the Stars. And there's a lot of players that come up in the game of basketball that just are a little too like meek, right? They're just a little too like willing to play in the background, right? And and I think that that's an important part as well. So like even some of the most talented players of all time, talented, you know, many of them are lacking that audacity piece and it limits them from their ultimate potential in the long run. But yeah, like you've got to be certain, you have to love the game, you have to hate losing, and you've got to have a certain amount of irrational confidence. I, I think those are the three pieces that separate stars in terms of their high-end potential from the guys that don't ever get to that level. Last mailbag question. Hey, Jason, do you play any video games at all? And if you do, which is your favorite? So nowhere near as much as I used to. I did just buy a PS5 a few months ago for the Jedi Survivor game. Many of you guys know I'm a diehard Star Wars fan. I will play just about any Star Wars game. Um, that comes out. I also, pl- I, I really enjoyed, I've just in general been a big fan of sci-fi and kind of like big picture fantasy type stuff. So like I, uh, I really enjoyed the Mass Effect series. I really enjoyed the God of War games, although I haven't played the new one yet. That's kind of on my to-do list. My favorite video game that I've ever played is Breath of the Wild. And I did just get Tears of the Kingdom. I, I just haven't actually gotten to gotten around to playing it yet. I I think when we get into the season and I start working more at night, I will have some more time to do that. Um, but the truth is, is like as I've gotten older, like my schedule's just gotten more full. I, I've we talked about this when we did that ad for Factor when we were talking about food. But like I um, between like your 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 family, your wife's family, your friends, your wife's friends, the friends you made together. Like all of all of a sudden, your friends start having kids. Then your brothers and sisters start having kids. You know, I'm a, I'm a, a, an uncle to like God. How many now? Like like five or six uh, uh, nieces and nephews. Like it, it just then they all have birthday parties, and then all your friends have kids, and then they all have birthday parties. Like um, you know, my buddy Luke, who I do the Two Sons podcast with, the Star Wars podcast, like. Now he has a kid, you know, like we're and what ends up happening is your social calendar gets full. Now I coach basketball too. So like twice a week I, I do uh, workouts with the high school team here in town. I play obviously a lot and then I have this job and all the time that that takes. And so you suddenly like don't have a lot of time to sit down and pick up a controller and play. You know, I'm sure most of you guys who are closer to my age are, uh, are fully aware of what I'm talking about. And, and then like, you have a, like my wife and I have a house and we're remodeling now. We're remodeling our master suite. So there's a lot of work involved with that. So I just haven't had the time that I like to have for that sort of thing, but maybe that'll change in the long run. And I do enjoy um, playing video games. A couple other ones that I really like. I've always enjoyed the fallout games. If they ever make a sequel to that, um, I'd like to play them. Never was big into sports games, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, like if you're wondering if I play NBA 2K, the answer is no. And you'd probably kick my ass if we tried. I used to when I was younger, but uh, not much anymore, but we'll see. Hopefully, I'll I'll, I'll play some more um, when we get into the season because I want to play through Tears of the Kingdom, and then I kind of ripped through Jedi uh, Survivor 
and I want to play it again on a, a higher difficulty because I just basically went through the story mode so I could kind of figure out the story, which was great. Um, all right, guys, that is all I have for today. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with number 13 and some more mailbag questions. Don't forget to drop those in the YouTube comments. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I will see you next time. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Psst. There's a shortcut to platinum status at Shell. To saving 10 cents per gallon on every fill every day. Just fill up six times with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline and it's yours. Plus, you'll rejuvenate your engine. Get ready to level up performance, rewards, and savings. With continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors, platinum status is earned with 12 fill-ups over three months, 10-gallon minimum per fill-up at participating Shell locations. Terms apply. Visit fuelrewards.com status. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.